As I get started um, in my message, I want to preface it by just saying how proud I am of each and every one of you for being here. This is a, uh, this is a difficult conference to go to. It's a difficult conference to promote. Um, I'll say that from someone who leads it. It's like, hey, come to Sex and God weekend. And they're like, no. <laughs> Why are you even inviting me? You know, like, I was calling people, inviting them to real talk, like just recruiting people, telling them they should be there. And they were like, do you, like, are you saying I need to be there? Like, you know something about what's going on? I'm like, no, 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 I'm not saying. I'm just saying it's going to be a good weekend. Like, I don't know anything about your personal life. But do you need prayer? No, I'm commanded to say that. And, but thank you. Just props for being here. I, I, I think it's something, I, I said this on Sunday morning, but we will not reach our generation if we do not double down on God's heart. Not only for ourselves, but God's heart for sexuality his mind on sexuality, and have a humble heart as we live this out amongst ourselves, but also amongst the world. Like we will never, like this is an evangelistic ministry, you will never reach people if they don't sense that you have a robust, deep well of understanding God's heart for sex and sexuality. We have to offer the world something better than pleasure. And we have that in the person of Jesus Christ. It's in these jars of clay that we get to encounter and move towards God's heart in an area of sexuality that's been so perverted and so hurtful for so many people. It's been a very damaging and traumatic experience for so many people. And we get to pursue the Lord and see him redeem and work through our lives. So you guys ready to go? All right, if you're ready to go, just stand up, give a high five. Someone, stand up, give a high five if you're ready to go. Yeah. And then you can sit back down. My internet wasn't working, so I had to give myself like five seconds. So there you go. So I was telling some guys yesterday, um, I was wrestling with my two boys, Remmer, he's three and a half, and Bo will be two next Friday. And I was wrestling with him in the basement, and I had Remmer down in a, in a chokehold. And I, I, I tell him, like, you can't cry if I chokehold you. You just got to figure it out, get a way out, you know? So I got him in a chokehold. Next thing you know, I have this sharp pain um, thrust into my back. I'm like, ow! I turn around, and Bo is holding a screwdriver. And I'm like... <laughs> He stabbed me so hard in the back. I had, like, I had to uh, replace the batteries on one of their toys, and I just put it on the ledge of, of the windowsill, and, and he stabbed me. And I was like, so like, you, I think I'm holy most times. You know, I'm like, I'm moving towards Christ. But I was like, so angry. I was so mad at him. And this is kind of my point in saying this, is if we don't understand the purpose of something, you're destined to misuse it. So Bo picks up a screwdriver and stabs me with it. Screwdriver, phenomenal tool, helps us in so many different ways. But if we do not understand the purpose of a screwdriver, you can actually cause harm to others with it. If you don't understand the purpose of a screwdriver, you might try to pound nails into a piece of wood and you'll call this tool, screwdriver, worthless. And so it's not just that it can hurt people, you can actually 
miss the purpose or you can determine its worth as less than its intended purpose because you don't understand it. And so what I want to do today is I'm going to get to the heart of our own hearts and how we relate to God, but I also want to touch on our mind. Because what I've noticed in my own life is that how my mind thinks affects my heart. It affects my heart. How my, how, what my thoughts and my beliefs in my mind are affect the way I live. And so I want to really ask the question this morning, what is the purpose of sex? What is the purpose of sex? Is it pleasure? Is it procreation? Is it belonging? Is it our identity? Is it for self-worth? What is the purpose of sex? 2 Timothy 4, 3-4 says this about the end times or later times. Paul speaking to Timothy. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate or build up or stack on top of each other for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So Paul is warning the church that Timothy's overseeing that there will come a day when people will not hold to sound teaching but will go to teachers who teach what we want to hear. And I'm not going to stick on this for too long other than saying there are many of purposes in culture even coming from Christian teachers and pastors who don't teach God's purpose for sex, but teach a different version that itch people's ears and that suits their own passions or their own lusts. So we can't just listen to pastors, me, we can't just listen to pastors because they have a position of authority or a PhD or they've written a book. We, act, we need to go to the scriptures and the words themselves and search God's design or purpose for sex. We have the ability in 2023 to go to the Bible ourselves. We don't have to sit under the teaching of one set of teachers. We can go to the scriptures ourselves. So today what I want to do is just encourage us and teach us from the scriptures uh, a biblical purpose for sex. In Matthew 11, 28 through 29, Jesus is speaking and he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What I want to focus on today is this phrase in the middle of that verse, which says, learn from me. As you pursue God, and as you pursue God's design and purpose for sex in your sexual history, but also in your future history, I want to change your paradigm. Most of us here have some sort of broken 
sexual history. Pornography, sexual sin, we have trauma in our past. And it's a framework that most of us want to be true is that there's a line that Jesus pushes us across where we no longer struggle. The paradigm shift and the image I want you to get is that there is no line with God, although we do need to take steps towards God, but it's not a line, it's a hand. An invitation that Jesus is offering us, not just in the area of sex and sexuality, but in all of life, but for today we'll focus on sex and sexuality, the offer is, take my hand. It's not cross the line, it's learn from me. It's not get your act together, it's learn from me. It's not suppress all of your sexual history and just get over it. It's learn from me. You see, we as humans, especially Americans, we think we can just pull up our bootstraps and get over things. And Jesus is a gracious teacher, counselor, comforter, and father. And he has his hand out this morning. So learn from me. This is what it says in Galatians 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let me say that again. Walk by the Spirit of God, and it's a promise. And you will not satisfy or gratify, sorry, the desires of the flesh. This verse is teaching us that if we'll grab the hand of God and walk with Him, we will not gratify or we will not submit to our sensual, fleshly, sinful desires. But it's a conditional statement that we must walk with God in order to overcome sin. Now, we've been completely forgiven of sin in the eyes of God, but to walk out into a mature expression of holiness requires walking. I remember times in my past where it would be at a youth group and I'd, the, you know, the pastor or whatever would come, evangelist would come and be like, who's addicted to pornography? And come to the altar and, you know, surrender. And then there's a song that's like, I surrender all. I surrender all. Listen, you don't even know how to surrender. You have like no idea how to surrender. Your idea of surrender is your own idea of surrender. We actually need the hand of Jesus to learn how to surrender. I remember times when I would make promises to God, like God on New Year's Eve. I remember one New Year's Eve, I was, God, I'll never look at lust. I'll never lust again. I'm never going to look at an image again on the, online or on my phone. I'm done, God. And then it was literally, I think, January 2 one year that I looked. And it was like, wow, that didn't work. That, that didn't work. And I thought that was surrender. I actually need Jesus to teach me how to surrender. Learn from me. This is why, verse 17 of Galatians 5, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So the spirit and the flesh desire different things. And when Jesus says, learn from me, 
He's saying, come and learn. Learn how to follow the Spirit. You guys ready for this then? So today, the rest of the time, I want to use an imagery of a house to teach this lesson. Your heart is a house. That's not a very pretty house, is it? Your house was a dump. (laughs) Your house was unable to be sold. It was so run down. It wouldn't even be worth buying and renovating because it was so run down, dirty, and worthless in our sight, in a carnal sight. But if you went on Zillow and looked at the price of your house or your heart, the world would say, eh, 75 grand. (laughs) Today's market, that's really low, really low. (laughs) But Jesus goes to the real estate agent and he says, I'll give you 10 million for it. And then the realist is like, whoa, I don't think you know what you're getting into here. This isn't a bad part of town. Like, there's been drug deals going on in this house. There was once time they had prostitute rings in this house. Like, I don't think you want to buy this house. And, and Jesus says, I'll, take, I'll pay you $10 million. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. You were dead in your sins. I was dead in my sins, and while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. Jesus came to buy the house. Not just to buy the house. He plans on renovating it and not flipping it for a profit. He comes to buy it, and he wants to move in. And so the renovation process starts when you're a born-again Christian. And you're born, when you're born again, it's not like you're at, you're at the spot that God wants you. When you're born again, you have the capacity to be holy. He imputes holiness, and he reaches out his hand and says, now learn to be holy. You don't know how to be. Let me show you. And it's going to be up and down. It's going to be messy because you're going to wander back to your idols. You're going to wander back to familiar things. But I'm holding on tight, sometimes by your collar or your ear. (laughs) He's renovating your house. So the imagery I want to give to us is that your heart is a house. Your life, your history is a house. And Jesus is not coming to flip the tables of your heart. He's coming to renovate the rooms of the house, one room at a time. What I know about Jesus from my personal experience, but also from being a pastor, is that God usually doesn't do everything at once. He usually addresses one thing at a time. And so throughout this weekend, I don't want you to feel the weight and burden of getting all your problems fixed. I want you to use the imagery of God wants to renovate one room this weekend. Maybe two rooms that he wants to kind of go in there and say, let's hey, let's start cleaning this room out. Let's start, let's start cleaning this room out. Maybe it's a part of your history. Maybe it's a sin that you're still struggling with. Maybe it's a, an addiction to pornography. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's a number of things that you might be dealing with. And the, the, the deal is not clean yourself up. It's let Jesus into the room. So there's two rooms that I want to focus on today, though, that I feel are going to be helpful. The first room is the room of identity. 
the enemy uses our sexual history to shame, condemn us, and to deceive us into thinking that we are someone who we are really not. So he uses our sexual history to call us worthless. He uses our sexual history to label us dirty. He uses our sexual history to call us invaluable, dirty, worthless. The devil uses our sexual history so that when we look in the mirror, we do not see a beloved son or a precious daughter. He uses it so that when we look in the mirror, we see fog, dirt, shame, and downcast heavy spirits and images. He uses, the devil uses, he's a crafty liar from the beginning. He is the father of lies. And he's not just lying about facts, he's lying about who you are. And so you have a room in your heart. You have a room in your life that is the room of identity about who am I? That's this question. Who am I? In particular, there's a room in our heart that is contaminated with our sexual history. And God is saying, let me show you who you really are. Let me show you who you really are. I remember growing up, People would ask me, pastors, small group leaders would ask me, hey, Jake, like, how's your relationship with God? I hate that question. Does anyone else just like hate that question? Like, how, is you, how are you doing with the Lord? Because it's like I have two options. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, number one, no one, like my friends, like my closest friends ask me that, and I don't mind that, right? But when it's when like people that don't really know me, it's just like, like, not good. I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Or I fake it because I'm a hypocrite and I'm like, no, really good. Read my Bible. What's the last thing you read in your Bible? What's, uh, John three sixteen. That's my last, you know, like you're making it up and it's like, but I remember thinking growing up, I'd be like, how was I doing with the Lord was directly related to the last time I had masturbated or watched porn. So like if you did ask me on like a 10-day stretch, I'd have been like, I am like, the Lord might come and pick me up like he picked up Elijah because like we are tight right now. Next day you fall back into sin and you're like, I am the worst sinner. I'm going to hell. And it was directly related to my behavior performance. Now, that doesn't mean that our behavior and performance doesn't matter, but it does mean that I misunderstood who I was. I thought who I was was dependent on my ability to not sin, not on the grace of God which identified me as a son in the midst of struggle. I'm a human. I'm moving towards Christ, and it's going to be messy. We're messy humans. But God still thought in the midst of our mess, our dirty, run-down house, he still thought it was worth it to move in. And he's in your heart. He's in your life. He's saying, let's renovate one room at a time. Let's renovate the room of identity. There's a story of a, of a, a woman. Her name is Lori Perry. She at one time identified as a man and was undergoing um, hormone treatment to become a man. And in that time, she was in a very low uh, state of depression and, and Laura... She went to church, and she got born again. People in the church didn't really know how to treat her, but luckily she found a small group where she started studying the Bible. She was still identifying as a man. She had said, I'm going to be a man of God. And all the while, the Lord was working on 
her heart. And that one of the small groups, she explains that one of the small group times is a time of prayer that she felt the Holy Spirit tell her this. Let me show you who you are. You see, because this is a, maybe an extreme situation or a situation that we can't identify with because we may not be transgender, but it's still a principle that our sexual history has marred and contaminated our self-image, and we need the hand of Jesus and the leadership of Jesus to show us who we really are. So one of the ways that we can do this practically is learn the truth of who God says we are in Scripture. So there's a bunch of verses that are going to be on the screen. I don't even know if you can read them. But we need to get this in our head, even if it's not in our heart. We need to start learning who God thinks and sees us as. And I will recommend route memorization. Because God uses our knowledge and our, our, the, our knowledge of the Bible to lead us and renovate the room over time. Just because you memorize these verses doesn't mean that you'll never have a temptation again. But God uses the word of God, breathes his spirit on it to turn you into a beautiful house. But if you don't know the scripture, if you don't know the scriptures and who God says you are, you will be led by your feelings and you will never be free. And so we need the scriptures. Specifically, we need to learn how God sees us in his word and through his son, Jesus Christ, to combat the lies of the enemy that we've believed our whole lives. And I, I like to Im image it this way. You see that kind of dirty, dark room? We need to start putting up picture frames of not what we look like, but who God sees us as. So, so we're not looking at what we see. We put picture frames of like, this is how God sees me. Image yourself on the wall and say, this is who, it's Jesus Christ through his son. This is who I am. And then as you renovate the room, the Lord will start to convince you that that's who you really are. So we need to let the Lord teach us who we really are and enter the room of identity. A lot of us have been hurt by our sexual history, whether it be hurt by a guy who took advantage of us, hurt by a girl who took advantage of us, hurt by the way that we were introduced to sex because of pornography, older brother, older sibling. We, we, there's so much trauma and pain that has to do with our sexual history. And my invitation to us is let Jesus in. Let him in the room. He is gentle and lowly of heart. Learn from him. The second room that we want to learn from is, or that we want to let Jesus into, when we think about our sexual history, is the room of belief. Matthew 11 says this, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Learn from me. This is determined here in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Okay, is this an egg yolk? No, this is not an egg yolk. A yolk is a frame used to control working animals, or in the case of humans, to expedite the bearing of burdens. So you have two animals, and you'd put a yolk 
on the neck of the animals so that they can work in tandem to plow a field. So another definition would be stable gear that joins two draft animals at the neck so they can work together as a team. It says this in earlier in Matthew 11 in the same paragraph. At that time, Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. We must become like children. We must not be prideful and say, I know all that I need to know. But instead, we need to take the yoke and we need to yoke ourselves. So imagine, Michael, come stand up here. Imagine, you're Jesus, okay? You got long hair. This is great, okay? So you, in a sense, I yoke myself to Jesus, so go. Where, it's like he takes me. We go together. It's not he, him dragging you. It's you working together. You can sit down. Working together to learn the purpose of sex and sexuality. It, it is learning the purpose of why God created this beautiful gift of sex and learning how we've been lied to by culture, our history, and by even our own selves so that we can be image bearers of God in a world that is looking for truth. In the time of Jesus, the, a Pharisee or a teacher um, would have called disciples unto themselves. And so... Jesus is using contextual um, a context of the first century religious system and use it, using it to himself. If you were to follow a teacher, a Pharisee, you would take the yoke of their teaching. So basically, whatever the Pharisee taught, you would hitch yourself to their teaching. So now Jesus is saying, hitch yourself to my teaching. Yoke yourself to me, for I am not prideful. I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find what? Rest for your souls. You are not going to find a spanking spoon, although the Lord does discipline. <laughs> You're going to find a gentle Savior who wants to walk with you to discover the purpose of sex. And the crazy thing is that you're not alone. John 14, 26 says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Right. So Jesus, in this room of belief in our heart, he's saying, let me, let me show you how to think. <laughs> let me show you how to think. You need help, guys. <laughs> I need help. Let me show you how to think. So part of my testimony is that I learned a few years back that sex was an idol in my life. Struggling deeply with lust, struggling deeply even in the young early years of my marriage, struggling with lust struggling with watching and watching images and videos online that I, am, that I am completely embarrassed to say that I indulged in. And I hated myself for it. 
But the Lord is gracious that I let him into it. I let him into that room. I remember one time I was in prayer. I was in prayer and the Lord showed me something. He showed me that I thought that living a sexually immoral life would be better than living a life of sexual satisfaction with my wife. He showed me, not in my head, I didn't believe that. I knew that sex outside of marriage was wrong. I knew that I shouldn't look at things online. He knew, I knew that I sh- ought not do those things. But like only, the, only Jesus can do when you let him into the room, he shows you what's underneath the bed. He said, Jake, you never actually, you never cleaned underneath the bed. Underneath the bed is what you really believe in the room of your thinking about sex is that you think that if you could have sex with all these women, you'd be more satisfied than with your wife. And I remember weeping and I was just like, God, you're right. You're right. I do believe that. And I said, help me not believe that. I don't want to believe that. But that's what I believe. That's not what I think. It's what I believe. And the crazy thing is, is that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So why was I running to women and images? Why was I running to lustful thoughts? Why was I running to all the perverted imaginations in my mind? It's because in my heart I believe that I would be more satisfied with the adulterous woman than with my precious wife. It was the best day because the Lord started to work on my belief, not on my behavior. Because once I changed my belief, now I can go to war. Now I can fight. Now I can win because now the devil has been exposed for the liar that he is. That women and having as much sex as I would ever want or desire would never satisfy me. And this is the thing that if you grow up in Christian circles and you don't have a history that's full of that, if you're like me, I didn't have sex till I was married. There's always this what if. What if. What if. I never got to experience the endly, uh, the, maybe the pit of despair that you would have from having multiple partners. I don't know what that's like. And so my imagination went there. And even though I never experienced it, I believed it. And I wanted it until the Lord changed the desires of my heart by changing what I believed. So he took me on a journey, and Pastor Ben and Nick you know, asked this question all the time, and it's just one of the best questions, and I used it over the, over the time of renewing my mind and doing this with the Lord, is do I believe that Jesus' way of life is the best possible way I could live when it comes to sex and sexuality? Do I believe what the Bible describes as the true purpose of sex? Do I believe that is the best possible way I could live? And when I was in that prayer with the Lord, I said, no, I don't believe that. I do not believe currently, this is what I was praying with the Lord, I do not believe that having sex with only my wife for the rest of my life would be the best sexual satisfaction I could have. I do not believe that. Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, help my heart to see the beauty of your creation of sex. So, what is the purpose of sex? The Lord showed me this through many different avenues, 
And I want to give this to you. Please, this is very important. I would encourage you to take notes. So he started to renew my mind. And this is kind of where I've landed as a beautiful... Like, you guys, this is what I have, the Lord has done to take me on the journey that I'm on. Like this is what he's used to renew my mind, change the way I think, and change the way I believe. The purpose of sex is number one, intimacy that motivates self-sacrificial love. The second purpose of sex is procreation. And the third purpose of sex is pleasure. And what I realized when I was in prayer is that I believed that pleasure was the highest purpose of sex. The Lord showed that to me in my heart. That pleasure is your number one. And so I said, okay, Lord, what should be my number one? And he showed me intimacy. This is, I'll build this out scripturally. Intimacy that motivates self-sacrificial love. And I'll unpack this. I started to realize that I was, if I were going to truly understand the purpose of sex, I needed to understand the purpose of marriage. Because m- sex is made for a covenantal relationship between man and wife. A lifelong covenant is made for marriage. Sex is made for marriage. So in order to understand the true purpose of sex, we also need to understand the purpose of marriage. Now, luckily, Lori unpacked this last night. I'm going to unpack it a little bit again today. Purpose of marriage. To represent God's covenantal love to the earth. It is a gospel picture. God's covenantal love for the earth or for humanity can also be shown through the story of Hosea, if you've read that. It's the story of Jesus. God's covenantal love for humanity. That it is is binding. That God's covenantal love for humanity is the purpose of marriage. It is not to have two kids, a house, and retire with a million dollars in your bank account, the purpose of marriage is to image the gospel. Is to show self-sacrificial love. It is to willingly lay down your life for spouse so that when your neighbors, coworkers, family look in, they go, that's a different kind of love. Now, some of you are thinking, Jake, we are a long way away from that right now. The divorce rate in, mer- in the church is 50%. If you've seen my parents, they're Christian. They don't even like each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like we, we have bad models, but here's what I'll say. Do never, never base your theology on human weakness. If you base your theology on human weakness, you will constantly live in a state of human weakness when you were designed for supernatural strength. If you live and believe based on the pain and weakness you've experienced, you will live a defeated life. The way out is the truth because the truth will set you free. It's not a sociological study that will set us free. It's understanding the truth of God's design and throwing our lives on that design and following Jesus with a hand that sets us free. Second is to reflect the love of God that is found in in Christ Jesus. This is what it says in Genesis 1. Then God said, "Let, let us make man in our image after our likeness 
And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I was going to do the funny joke about girls, you have authority over creeps, but I'll just not do that right now. So, so God created a man in his own image. In the, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God created man, male and female, in the image of God. Meaning that man doesn't represent the image of God. Women doesn't, do not represent the image of God. It is when they are joined together in marriage, but also in the church. It's not just marriage. It's marriage and the church. When we come together, we, brothers, sisters, represent the image of God through our differences. We represent God. Male and female, he created them. In Genesis 2, this is kind of an expansion or a, or a uh, zoomed-in picture of the creation account. In Genesis 2, 23 through 24, it says, then, man's, uh, then the man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Speaking of Eve, who was just created out of his rib. So Eve was pulled out of the rib of man. It says, that this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. What man is, or God has joined together, let not man separate. So God, in marriage, joins two different people as one. He joins them as one in order to show the world his image. It's the purpose of marriage. Now, we find the purpose of sex inside of that picture. So the purpose of marriage is to reflect the covenantal love of God, to reflect the covenantal love of Jesus. That's the purpose. Now, what's the purpose of sex? It's found within that. Let's, let's rewind. What's the purpose of sex? Intimacy that motivates self-sacrificial love. So intimacy is two becoming one. It's the most intimate thing that we could do is to be naked and unashamed and come together and say, nothing's off limits from me. Nothing's off limits from you. This is consensual. I'm giving myself to you. You're giving yourself to me. And now we are going to image and reflect God through this intimacy. I've said this before when I, when I, when I talk to um, engaged couples and we're going to talk about sex, I say, listen, on your honeymoon, God's not going like this. He, he, he's not looking away. He's not ashamed of what's happening. He created it. He's seeing this right here is an image of my love for humanity. And it says what God has joined together, let that man separate. And now listen to what happens when we have sex from a, from a chemical perspective or a scientific perspective. This is what happens when we have sex there is a happy high of dopamine that's released in your brain, chemically. There is a bonding of oxytocin in which you're bonded chemically in your brain to the other person. And there is mood stabilization of serotonin where you're, it's calm, it's just steady. There's an agent and then there's a remembering agent of norepinephrine that you remember what you just did. Now, why did God create us this way? He created us this way so that we would not look at an image on a screen or have a, a, a 
that we would have a sexual experience with a fling in middle school or high school. He designed it this way so that we would have one person for the rest of our lives and God created it so that we would not just be physically one, not just spiritually one, but we would be emotionally one in order that we would have intimacy that motivates self-sacrificial love. God gave us sex so that we would have a connection to spouse, that we would lay down our life for them for the rest of their life and we wouldn't really know why we're doing it. It's like, why do I want? Because God has designed sex to motivate self-sacrificial love in marriage. That is the purpose. That is the purpose of sex and this is the crazy thing. No matter what we're struggling with, it comes down to having a faulty or improper view of the purpose of sex. Addictions to pornography, habitual going back to old boyfriends or girlfriends and we just keep going back and making out or doing other things and, and, and having sexual experiences because we don't even know why, we hate it, we find ourselves messaging old old people online, not old people, I'm sorry, old, <laughs> uh, previous partners online and... And we're like, I don't know why I'm doing it. It's, you're, we're doing it because of the chemical connections that God designed for marriage. Now, here's the crazy, amazing part is that God redeems all things. And that he's, he's reaching out his hand. He says, I've made all things new. Now learn from me. Let me get into that room of your belief. and Let me show you what I can do with that, with that room that's a little, a little uncapped. Let's start cleaning it up together. We don't have to do it all in one day, but just walk with me. Just walk with me. Some of you are like, I'll never let Jesus into that room. Listen, maybe just open the door today then. Just open the door to change the way we think and believe in order that we might become the image bearers, the men and women of God he's always created us to be. But in order to do that, it's not a it's not a pushing across the line. It's a grabbing of a hand. And it's Jesus in Matthew 11 saying, learn from me. And if we're going to make it in this world, if we're going to avoid the pitfalls of sexual temptation and immorality, we must not just white knuckle it, but we must learn from Jesus and let him into the belief, the rooms of belief and the rooms of identity and allow him to change us from the inside out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time. I just bless, God, the rest of our time today. I pray, God, that you would use this this message, these words. You would use the truth of Scripture that you've spoken to us today. God, that you would lead us in the way of eternal life. God, that you would help us to learn the true purpose, the biblical purpose of sex, that we might be changed from the inside out, that we might be made clean by your spirit, that we might walk in newness of life, that we might become a testimony to our family and friends, that we might be a light that shines, that proclaims the redeeming nature and power of Jesus Christ, not just for heaven, but for our life on earth. And I just pray for everyone who's afraid to let you into their hearts, into their history. God, I just thank you that you are gentle. You are lowly of heart. And that, you, that we, when we come to you, we will find rest for your soul. So help us to take that yoke and just walk next to you and learn from Jesus the true purpose of sex 
and the true purpose of our pur- for the true purpose of why we're here on earth. In Jesus' name, Amen.